Good morning and welcome to Monday Mornings with Maddie and Morgan. I'm Maddie and I'm Morgan. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm lovely. How are you today? Good. Except it's raining outside, which is a bummer. Yeah, we finally got real snow here. Yep. <laughs> like just on Friday. Finally. Which makes me sad. <laughs> I know. Ugh. It's been a terrible winter. <laughs> it's awful, guys. I we love winter. Global warming. <laughs> Normally. Yeah, for real. If I was smarter, I would help. <laughs> I didn't study environmental science, though. Someone I did, else but I don't it. have the capacity for that. <laughs> oh, it's too much. Have you seen the new Leonardo DiCaprio movie, Don't Look Up? Yes, I have. Oh, my God. It was so good. Yeah. I did not know that it was supposed to be like an allegorical representation of people's reaction to climate change. Oh, yeah. And I was like, oh, my God. I was <laughs> mind blown. Highly recommend. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was definitely a very good it. movie if you haven't seen it. I really enjoyed it. But, and yeah, usually, like, I like movies, but I tend to lose interest pretty quickly if it's not good. <laughs> yeah. But it kept I, my interest the whole time. <laughs> we have uh, child movie attention spans over here. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> However, we've been watching Ted Lasso. <gasps> I love it so much. It cracks me up. It's one of those ones that, like, I need to watch, but we only have Apple TV on one of our TVs for uh, unknown yeah. reasons. And Thank I never you use to my sister for giving me her login so I can finish watching it. We started it on vacation as a family. My parents have already seen it, but... yeah. So I funny. have been watching 30 Rock. Oh, I've tried that, but I never have been able to get into it. I think it's finally, like, when it came out and prior to, like, this time of life, I wouldn't have liked it probably as much yeah. as I do. But I feel like it's probably, like, Parks and Rec where it takes a couple episodes to get into it. Yeah, I've just never been able to get past the first couple episodes. <laughs> yeah, once you get past like the introduction to who the characters are and like all that stuff, it's it's good. That's kind of like always sunny for me. Like I've tried to start it like ten times and I can't. I just can't get into it. Oh yeah. So how you start always sunny is you watch random episodes uh, that people suggest to you, and I then see. you can randomly start from the beginning. Or you can just start from the beginning because the first episode is the gang gets racist and... True. I've seen it like five times because every time I try to start it, I start from the beginning. Oh my god, just move on to the next episode. Yeah. <laughs> but, oh, I have, I do have a podcast recommendation for you. Ooh, yay. Um, I don't know if you've been keeping up with My Favorite Murder, but they also made this podcast recommendation last week. Oh. Um... It's called Heavyweight. It's from Gimlet Media. And it's basically this guy, Josh Goldstein, who's famous for a lot of other... You'd recognize his voice. He's, yeah. like, on This American Life and a bunch of other podcasts. Yeah. But he, like, that's his full-time job. And um, he basically solves people's problems. <laughs> like, so they bring him, like, an issue. So, like, the first episode is his uncle and his father that haven't spoken in like 20 years Jeez. and he brings them together and resolves their issue 
or like the last one was this guy that just like the little things that you think about that you wish you didn't do or wonder why they happened or whatever yeah yeah. he saw he gives you the answers to those problems like he flies people places and contacts people oh <laughs> like a lot of them are like oh there's i like lost a friend and i don't know why and then they figure it out and become friends again <laughs> it doesn't sound that interesting the way i'm describing it but it's really neat that sounds cute though and he has like a very good narrator voice which helps oh nice but yeah Alrighty, so what are we talking about this week? So, I have a weird one for you this week. <laughs> Great. We're going to talk about Stephen Kubacki. Oh. Have you heard of this guy? It sounds kind of familiar, but I probably, I don't know. There isn't even a Wikipedia page for this case. It's like, oh. I'll explain more later, but it's kind of relatively unknown. Maybe you should make his Wikipedia page. That's true. So shout out to Ellen Kaloran of Cold Dead Hands, which is a blog about crime and that kind of stuff. Fun. Um, and she is the only one that I found that like did in-depth research, tried to interview people, tried to like figure out more about this case. Everything else is kind of like... Everything else that I read kind of started with her article, so oh, shout out to her for that. In February of 1978, Stephen Kubacki set off from the northeastern shore of Lake Michigan near Saugatuck. Don't know where that is. Don't know geography. Don't know anything about Lake Michigan. Nope. But great legs. That's great where it was. Not legs. <laughs> I mean, he's a cross-country skier, so he probably has great legs, too. <laughs> Whoops. Sorry, guys. It's a Sunday morning. We're not fully here. I'm no, over it. My coffee did not uh, help me the way I wanted it to this morning. <laughs> no. Okay. He set off from the northeastern shore of Lake Michigan near Saugatuck on a cross-country Nordic ski trip for a few days. Stephen was a 23-year-old student at Hope College, a small private Christian university in Michigan, though his friends described him as a, quote, hippie type. Basically just saying that he didn't really fit into the Christian university vibe. Stephen was a double major in German and history and had just started his final semester. He was known around campus for writing an op-ed in the campus newspaper about the high amount of theft from the library that left the book collection inadequate, which I never really thought about. Is that a thing? Like, do people steal books from the library? I don't know. I mean, I feel like why would you need it anymore once you're finished with it? Right. I mean, I love books, but if they don't belong to me, they don't belong to me. Yeah, especially, like... If you own it and you've already read it, like, yeah, you can keep it, whatever. But, I don't know. That sounds just kind of weird. Don't be mean to libraries, guys. Yeah, right? Sorry to all the people that I've borrowed books from and not returned them. Yeah. They're all sitting in my bedroom waiting to be returned to the people they belong to. Yep. Yep. Same. (laughs) Anyway. In addition to his love for Dungeons and Dragons, he is an experienced outdoorsman. So it was not <laughs> unusual 
for Stephen to venture off on his own for an adventure. In fact, he had done this exact same ski trip the previous year. Wowie. Yeah, yeah. However, after several days, Stephen had not returned. Oh. Snowmobilers that were riding across the lake on February 21st found a set of cross-country skis abandoned with a backpack. Oh. They contacted the authorities and a search was or a search ensued. There was a 200-yard long set of footprints in the snow leading away from his things towards the lake edge. Okay. But they disappeared. They ended at the lake edge. (laughs) Oh, that's not creepy at all. Yeah. So the searchers, of course, figured that Stephen had walked to the edge and then fallen through the ice on the lake. But there wasn't any evidence of breaks in the ice, specifically in the vicinity of where his belongings and footprints were found. Yeah. Because that would be pretty obvious. There would be a dude-sized hole. Right, exactly. (laughs) And they were definitely Stephen-sized footprints, so... (laughs) Yeah. As always, in a missing person case, the search party eventually ceased after no evidence of Stephen was found. Okay. Here is where it gets crazy. Okay. We fast forward to 14-ish months later, and Stephen Kubacki, quote, wakes up in the middle of a field in Pittsfield, Massachusetts, about 730 miles due east of where he was last seen on Lake Michigan. Yeah, those aren't close at all. Nope. (laughs) (laughs) Although I do remember this story now, and it is the weirdest. He was wearing unfamiliar clothes and carrying a backpack full of maps that he did not recognize. He had $40 in cash, a t-shirt from a marathon in Wisconsin, (laughs) and new glasses and sneakers. (laughs) Interesting. Yep. (laughs) Did he need glasses? He wore glasses. Okay. I don't know if he needed new glasses. or. (laughs) Yeah, because you can't get those without a prescription either. So it's like... Weird. Yeah, the last memory he had of was he had was of Lake Michigan, where his footprints disappeared. That's creepy. Don't Day- love it. No, <laughs> dazed and confused, Stephen didn't realize how much time had passed until he walked into the closest store and bought a newspaper. Mm. Luckily, the Kubacki family actually was from Pittsfield, Massachusetts. But they didn't live there. Uh, okay. That's so weird. Like, that's such a weird coincidence. I know. And also, I'm currently doing an episode on sleepwalking. So this just feels like he must have just been sleepwalking that whole time. For 14 and a half months. Apparently. It's, but one yeah. of the things of sleepwalking is you don't remember anything that happens, but you do routine activities and you'll go places that you normally go. Yeah. So it's very strange. It's crazy. And I guess the maps in his backpack were from like all over the US. And he was like, I've never been to these places. <laughs> <laughs> There's also like pictures of him like at each place. <laughs> That'd be funny. That would be funny. Stephen did have an aunt that lived 20 minutes away from where he woke up in Great Barrington, Rhode Island. Mm. So he was able to make his way there. I don't know if he got a ride or whatever. Yeah. 
And from there, he was able to reunite with the rest of his family, which obviously thought he was dead after over a year. There's some really wholesome pictures of him and his dad. Oh. (laughs) Yeah. Reuniting. (laughs) So sweet. In interviews after he was reunited with his family, Stephen said, quote, I feel like I've done a lot of running, end quote. (laughs) Okay. Maybe that explains the marathon t-shirt. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, well, you do have a marathon shirt, so. His memory was clear right up until his disappearance. He claims that the last thing he remembers is feeling cold and feeling afraid of being lost in the dark, frozen tundra, basically. Weird. On the lake, because it was getting, it was like an overnight trip, so. You might cover this, but do you know if anybody checked with that marathon to see if he was a participant? Not that I know of, but I might look into that after this, because I'm curious. Because that would be an interesting way to see if he actually was there. Because those, like, you always find those types of shirts at like savers and stuff. Yeah, exactly. So, is or it... like if he had been staying with someone and they he yeah. needed another set of clothes or whatever. But I don't know. That's interesting. I didn't think about that. Like yeah. I said, there's not. There's like three real articles. He's featured in a lot of listicles because there's not a ton of information. But, yeah. of course, one of them was behind a paywall. So, screw you at strangeoutdoors.com. Yeah, what the fuck? I'm sure I would really like your website, but I'm not paying for it. <laughs> Literally. And then this article by Ellen, and then there's one from um, another website. I can't remember the name of it. <laughs> but, yeah, and other than that, it's just, like, his name being mentioned places. And some of the stuff that you find when you look him up is from current day, so. Yeah. Anywho. We'll talk about the rest of the theories later, but Stephen told a reporter that he believes he blacked out due to exhaustion and exposure to the elements. But that wouldn't explain why he blacked out for 14 months. Yeah, and that would make sense if, like, he blacked out and then people found him right away. Right. <laughs> or even, like, if they found him in town or back where he lived or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Or, like, naked wandering through the woods because that happens. It's true. <laughs> but, like, that, yeah, that's weird. Ooh. I know. He made it very clear that he would be seeing a doctor for a physical, but he had no interest in seeing a psychiatrist. Insisting that he was in a healthy mental state and was also when he left for the ski trip. Like, bro, don't you want to get some answers here? (laughs) Like, yeah, you might think that, but he's also a college-aged person, which is when a lot of, like, very scary mental health issues can, like, come forth. So... I mean, and he seemed like a pretty open-minded dude, so that was surprising to me that he was like, nope, nope, not doing it. (laughs) Ew. But... A fun fact for you is that while he was missing, the investigators sent his dental records to Chicago in in the case that he could be among the unidentified victims of John Wayne Gacy. Oh, yeah. So fun fact, but not really fun. No. Freaky fact. Yeah. Steven today is our headline for this part. Okay. 
Stephen refuses to be interviewed or talk about his experience, so we don't really know any more than what I've told you here. Even his ex-wife refuses to be interviewed. He's told reporters that he was planning on trying to retrace his steps, but we don't know if he ever did. What the fuck? <laughs> the, case never, the case never really got a significant amount of media attention, and it doesn't even have a Wikipedia page. When Stephen had disappeared, his parents um, spent, like, thousands of dollars on a private investigator after the search was ceased. Yeah. But they're dead now, so we can't get any answers from them either. Ugh. So, however, the story is recognized in the paranormal community in association with the Lake Michigan Triangle, which we'll talk about in a minute. Ah! Now, Stephen lives in a Pacific North lives in the Pacific Northwest and works as a psychologist. The irony. <laughs> I can't. He's definitely gotten like psyche valves since this, and I hope so. <laughs> yeah. He wrote a book called, quote, Meta-Mathematical Foundations of Existence, Godel, Quantum, God, and Beyond. But has nothing to do with his disappearance, so that's not really important. Interesting. If you go to the document, I linked his uh, LinkedIn page. Oh, good. But anyway, now we get to talk about theories. None of the articles really covered theories, so I'm going to talk about the Lake Michigan Triangle, and the rest are kind of my theories, (laughs) because I had nothing else, so. There you go. The Lake Michigan Triangle. Yes, we have another cursed triangle. Thank God. (laughs) They're everywhere. (laughs) Apparently. The Lake Michigan Triangle stretches from Ludington to Benton Harbor, Michigan, and to Mantuoc, Wisconsin. Which means nothing to me, as we covered before. But I'm assuming it makes the triangle shape. Yep, probably. (laughs) Just like many other cursed triangles, this area has inspired a plethora of inexplicable activity, including UFO sightings, disappearances without a trace, strange weather phenomena, and some even claim it to be a sort of time portal. Ooh. Explain something. But there's plenty of articles about the Lake Michigan Triangle, but that's not really what this episode's about. So I didn't want to go too, too. Like, you can go, there's so many stories about like abandoned ships and all sorts of stuff. Because, especially because Lake Michigan is so fucking huge. Yeah. It's like, so crazy shit, man. Oh, wow. I'm on his LinkedIn page. He went to Dartmouth for med school. Oh. He got his bachelor's degree, uh, like, it was like a posthumous or in absentia bachelor's degree. He only had a semester left, so I'm sure it wasn't that big. Yeah, because I was going to say, it's not listed anywhere, because he just has his master's. Um, He was a scholar at Frankfurt University. And he was a psych. Oh, he was a psychology intern at Dartmouth Med School. Uh, and then he studied. He got his PhD in clinical psychology from University of New Mexico. Interesting. Yeah, and he also is a poet. That doesn't surprise me. <laughs> yeah. Just based on, you should look up some pictures of him from like the eighties. <laughs> it's funny. 
Oh my god. So my other theories include alien abduction, obviously. Yes. Kidnapping. Maybe. Drugs. Copious Maybe. amounts of drugs. Could be. And my final theory that seems most plausible to me is that Stephen is is an extremely elaborate liar. Mm. <laughs> but he could have gone off the grid for a very long time. Exactly. No shame in that, but don't lie about it. <laughs> I mean, drugs is valid because um, in college, my friend told me a story about this kid. He knew that did like copious amounts of acid and then just put the White House into his GPS and drove from like, I think he was in New Hampshire to D.C., like, hopped up on drugs got there and then like didn't know what he was doing the police just thought he was like homeless oh my god and he ended up like just was like in a weird state of like psychosis for a very long time so that's crazy yeah kids uh don't do drugs (laughs) yeah there i yeah i mean i don't what do you think i think it was aliens well, yeah, I knew you were going to say that. I would I like mean, to tell you there's an Ancient Aliens episode about him. Of course. Season 13, episode 4. Can't find it anywhere, even on the paid ones. Really? It's not on Discovery Plus? No, they only have up to season 8, which was like 2015. What the fuck? This one's from 2018, I think. Guys... The episode is called The Black Hole. But. Yeah, it's, I don't know. I looked on YouTube. I looked on HistoryChannel.com. They have a lot of shit locked, which doesn't make sense to me because almost all of their other stuff is, like, free and available to use. Yeah. But. So if anybody finds it, I really want to watch it. (laughs) Yeah, let us know. Um. No, I think it was either definitely aliens or he was like, fuck this shit, and just decided to run away for 14 months because... That's what I think happened. And I mean, when you roll up somewhere with, like, if you have new glasses, you'd have to have your glasses prescription to get that, like... Right. Planned thing. They didn't mention if he, like had his wallet on him or anything like that i'm assuming he did and yeah. i'm assuming it was probably in his pocket but it would have been extra creepy if it was in his backpack that was still in michigan <laughs> yeah and i mean there's also like back then like what year was this 79 yeah so like you could you didn't have to have like a credit card or a debit card to do everything yeah that's back true then. and like they weren't you really didn't need an id for anything <laughs> Yeah, so if, especially, like, he rolled up with a backpack full of maps of different places. He was probably just in different state and national parks, like, considering that's what both of us would do if we were to run away and fall off the grid, that's what I think he did. (laughs) But it's fun to think about the other theories as well. Oh, yeah. So now I have a couple of similar cases for you. Oh, fun. To clarify, they're not super similar. (laughs) I read them. They were all in a listicle, and two of them aren't don't seem relevant to me at all, so I'm not going to read those two. Oh. But the other ones seem kind of relevant, so I'm going to read those. This is coming directly from the medium.com website. 
And the first person we're going to talk about is William Bates. In August 1902, William Bates, an American ophthalmologist Mm. and eye doctor, (laughs) sent a letter to his wife while she was visiting her mother. mother. It stated that he had been called out of town for some major operations (laughs) and would be traveling with a former student, Dr. Forche. Oh. Yeah. He explained that he would be paid quite generously and promised to provide her with more details in the next letter. No more letters ever came. Interesting. After several days, Mrs. Bates reached out to a family and friends in the U.S. and Europe to see if anybody had any information. Finally, a letter arriving from Britain claiming that a man who fit Bates' description was working as a medical assistant at the Charing Cross Hospital in London. That's weird. He had first been admitted as a patient there. Oh. Yeah. Bates was reported to be haggard and thin with deeply sunken eyes. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Mrs. Bates <laughs> traveled to London anxious to see her husband. Yeah. Unfortunately, William had no recollection of his previous life. Oh. And did not know her. Oh. He reportedly told her, I do not know why you bothered, madam. We are strangers. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> Mrs. Bates first. Go ahead. You were not strangers. Yeah, right? <laughs> You're like, shut the fuck up. Get over this. We're going home. Mrs. Bates persuaded him into joining her at the Savoy Hotel. William was able to recall portions of his life, including while he was in New York, being summoned to board a boat and perform an operation on someone with a brain abscess. A brain abscess surgery on a boat? Yeah, I don't know about that. That sounds like... No, or thank you. That's just how he was getting to the surgery. Oh, maybe. I don't know. Mrs. Bates planned on staying in London as long as it took for her husband to recover, while also praying that his memories would return. Yeah. However... Yeah, exactly. However, two days after William began staying with his wife at the Savoy Hotel, he disappeared once again. Of course. Mrs. Bates spent the next few years actively searching for her husband throughout Europe and down the American East Coast. Oh, my God. Yeah. She died in 1907, so five years after he went missing, Mm. embracing a photo of her beloved husband. However... That's not the end of the story. Oh, God. Where'd he pop up? In 1910, Dr. J.E. Kelly, a good friend of the Bateses, was passing through Grand Forks, North Dakota. In a town of 12,000 people, (laughs) Kelly recognized a familiar face. No. (laughs) William Bates had set up a a small ophthalmology practice in the town sometime between when he was last seen in London and the current time. I love that he just becomes a doctor wherever he goes. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Also, like, he's an eye doctor. Why was he working on a brain abscess? I don't know. I wonder if it has I guess... something to do with, like, that... Yeah. That region, like, behind the frontal lobe. Yeah, true. Or, I mean, back then it didn't really matter. True. Back then a doctor was a doctor. <laughs> yeah, they had barbers, like, doing surgery, so... True. Bloodletting and shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, anywho, 
Kelly persuaded Bates into coming to New York, and they went into practice together. <laughs> Bates never regained his memories of his previous life. Mm. He did, however, serve as an attending physician at the Harlem Hospital, and he remarried. Interesting. There was some speculation that his mental state was somewhat unstable as he compiled a medical-based book filled with misinformation and exaggerations <laughs> in regards to imperfect eyesight. <laughs> <laughs> this became known as the Bates Method and recommended potentially dangerous alternative therapies to improve eyesight. Good. <laughs> he died in 1931. Wowie. Yeah, so that one's kind of similar. It has to do with amnesia of that sort. Yep. Definitely a traumatic brain injury, though. Yeah, and definitely one where he kept, he disappeared and kept popping up random places around the country. I mean, honestly, though, if you're going to get a traumatic brain injury, that's, like, the best outcome. Like, he's still living his best life, just, like, vibing around. No, we know of. And, I mean, considering, like... We have friends that work with traumatic brain injury patients, like Big Al does a lot, and I know a few of my OT friends do, so it's just, uh, it's a scary thing to see, so I guess it's, like, better that if that's what happened to him, that he ended up just, like, chilling, being a doctor wherever it was. Mm-hmm. If you want to know more about the terrible effects of traumatic brain injuries, Please watch the Aaron Hernandez documentary on Netflix. <laughs> oh my god. Yep. They didn't even go enough into the traumatic brain injury aspect I know. of that in that one, but that man. Don't play what football. What a sad it's... life. Oh my god, I know. I was like, if I were to ever have children, there's no fucking chance. No yeah. fucking chance. It's terrifying. But I do have one more story for you that's kind of similar but not and you'll see why oh good it cracks me up you're gonna love this one oh i can't wait we're gonna talk now about john darwin Ooh. john darwin was a science and math teacher turned prison officer living in hartlepool county durham england (laughs) quite the job change yeah that really is a 360 truly (laughs) Whatever floats your goat. Yeah. Darwin and his wife, Anne, also ran ran a business renting bedsits in County Durham. So, like, a boarding house. Mm, gotcha. After purchasing two houses in Seton, Carew in 2000, the Darwins were swimming in debt. Ooh. On March 21st, 2002, Darwin was seen paddling his kayak out to sea at Seton, Carew. After failing to show up at work later that day, he was reported as missing. A massive search of the sea and neighboring areas was conducted. No sign of Darwin was ever found, only a paddle belonging to his kayak. John Darwin was presumed dead. Mm -hmm. Anne had to break the news to the couple's sons, Anthony, 42, and Mark, 45. Oh, Unknown to anyone except for Anne, Darwin was actually alive and well, temporarily living in one of the bedsits next door to his family's home. <laughs> <laughs> in 2003, he secretly moved back in with Anne. In 2004, the Darwins decided to move out of the country. In November, the couple visited Cyprus to look at properties. Darwin's gallivanting outside of his home caused him to be seen and recognized by several individuals, but none of them reported it. 
So he faked his death? Mm-hmm. Was it to get out of the debt from the houses? You'll see. <laughs> okay. In July 2006, the Darwins flew to Panama. Hmm. There they were photographed by a Panamanian property agent. <laughs> <laughs> and the photo was posted to the internet. Hmm. <laughs> and then returned to the UK to sell their family home while John remained in Panama. Gotcha. In May 2007, the couple purchased a tropical estate in Escobar, Cologne, Panama, and planned to turn it into a hotel. Cute. In September, a police investigation began when a colleague of Anne's overheard a conversation between her and John, (laughs) her dead husband. (laughs) Around this time, John also wanted to return to Britain. Oh. On December 1st, 2007, John Darwin walked into a central London police station and said, I think I'm a missing person. (laughs) (laughs) You think? His idea was that he would claim to have suffered from amnesia to explain his disappearance for the past five years. What a poop. (laughs) Yep. Anne was notified of Darwin's return, and she seemed completely surprised and overjoyed at the sight of her missing husband. (laughs) Ah. Yeah. The jig was up when the Daily Mirror published the photograph of the Darwins that was taken in Panama in 2006. (laughs) (laughs) Proving that it that John's disappearance was a hoax, but Anne also knew the entire time. <laughs> yeah. Anne admitted to the fraud and confirmed that the photo was authentic, saying, Yes, that's him. My sons will never forgive me. Because <laughs> of course you didn't tell them. You told them that your father was de- their father was dead, so yeah. Rude. She also admitted that John came up with the idea so that she would receive his license life insurance payout. And they could pay off all of their debts. So you were on the right track. <laughs> gotcha. Initially, the sons were delighted by their father's return. But as the truth came out, they publicly stated that they had been scammed and wished to have no further contact with their parents. Shit. Understandable. <laughs> on July 23rd, 2008, John and Anne Darwin were both convicted of fraud. Yeah. And John received an additional charge due to his fake passport and was sentenced to six years and three months in prison. Nice. Anne received a six-year, six-month sentence, and the couple divorced, led separate lives, and were court-ordered to pay back the life insurance money that they fraudulently received. I'm surprised they got divorced. Me too, after all that. Yeah. <laughs> I bet Anne regrets a lot. Yeah, Definitely. But I thought you'd like that one. So it's like kind of the same, but it was a freaking hoax the whole time. <laughs> oh my god, that's just ugh, people are just so weird. But I mean, I did immediately after graduation on our drive to post grad, like lunch dinner type of situation. I said, okay, who wants to fake my death with me so we don't have to pay for my debt? True. I'm not paying back my student loans until I absolutely have to. No, Big Daddy Joe, if you don't cancel these, I'm literally going to be so sad. Yeah, they got pushed back to May. I know. <laughs> Which, as soon as they said July, you have to start paying again, I was like, there's no way. They're going to push back again. Oh, yeah. But I was so glad when they pushed them back and, like, retroactively did it to May 5th, March 15th from the beginning because I had one to do. And then I was like, I don't have money for that. I do. I just don't want to pay them. Oh, yeah. Especially was... if they're going to get canceled eventually, then might as well just not pay until I absolutely have to. 
Exactly. That's what me and Elena keep saying. Why would I pay them? Exactly. It's not like interest is accruing on them either. Mm -hmm. I know a couple people that have paid off their loans during like this whole COVID thing. Like, good for you, but I'm saving my money. (laughs) If I had enough money to pay them off and it was like a small enough amount, then I would. True. But it's not a small. Right. (laughs) Exactly. That's how I feel as well. If it were like just like two thousand dollars then i'd be like yeah whatever we don't need to worry about it anymore but it's not that much money nope (sighs) so there's that yeah so uh guys you should send us some money for our student loans that we're not paying we don't get paid to do this (laughs) (laughs) you know what you should do is spotify you can now rate podcasts on spotify there's not even an option for writing a review, so I can't harass you about that. But Literally that just means click the number star you want. I can bully you into giving us a five star review or rating because it literally is one button. You go, yep, that's it. So easy. You can do it right in the app. Yeah, and then you can also go on over and you don't even have to write a review for iTunes either. You can leave, yeah, just put, leave a rating. Yeah. So Please. now that's been said. Please. <laughs> I love you. Yeah. And as always, stay tuned next Monday and every Monday for new episodes. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're currently listening. We're on Instagram at Monday Mornings Pod and on Twitter at Monday Mornings P. If you have questions or topics that you'd like to have covered in a future episode, you can email us at mondaymorningspod at gmail.com or DM us on any of those platforms. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review us on iTunes and Spotify. Yes, pretty please. And as always, start your Monday mornings the right way with Maddie and Morgan. Bye!